Welcome to the New Zealand Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Paul Spain, along with Gorilla Technology. Well, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Sales and Marketing Insider. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today we are with Ainsley Pallorette, owner of Fix HR, a company based in Auckland that helps small business owners to get to grips with their obligations under the Employment Relations Act. Since returning to New Zealand, Ainsley discovered a natural bent towards selling and has met and pitched to over 4,000 small business owners across Auckland and Northland. Without further ado, let's jump in. Welcome to the show, Ainsley. Thank you for having me, Paul. It's lovely to be here. Well, very exciting to have you on the show today. Now, as I was doing my research, I saw you have met with literally thousands of business owners um, since you've returned to uh, to New Zealand um, a decade or, or so back. And you're someone that uh, has really honed the art of selling. So I'm very, very excited to uh, chat with you and uh, see what we can uh, learn from your experiences and uh, and your stories. Well, I'm really glad to be here and humbled at the opportunity to have met so many business owners. I have to say, uh, I had a job that meant that I was meeting between 15 and 20 business owners most weeks. And so that's how that number really cranked up there. Um, but yeah, I learned a heap and I'm glad to be here, share what I can. Great. Well, let's, let's jump in. Um, maybe just a bit of background, you know, where, where did you grow up and, uh, and, and from there, how did you end up getting into this big wide world of, of sales and, and marketing? Well, I think those of us who are natural salespeople know that we are quite good at persuading. It probably started, you know, making sure I got my own way as a child. But uh, it really didn't take much shape until after I'd been overseas, came back to New Zealand, and I met uh, somebody who who really saw that promise in me and took time to teach me that actually uh, I'm, I'm good at this stuff. Uh, so Toby York used to run Geek Free Web Design. We were all together up in the Maharangi Peninsula area and – um, he ran a night class. I had put my name down to learn Te Reo, uh, but <laughs> there weren't enough uh, potential students. So I did another night class. I did Cash Flow 101 with Toby York, and we played a board game. There were probably about 12 or 15 of us uh, on a Tuesday night or whatever it was. And, yeah, so so Toby saw that uh, I was a little bit under, probably underprepared, under under refined, but I was a persuader. And so he uh, taught me how to read a room, know what you know what you need, uh, know what kind of outcome you're looking for, and rather than just winging it, having a little bit of control over that. And so for a couple of years, uh, I sold websites. Um, there were a bunch of usability people and, and developers and, you know, online marketing people who we all worked together. I got the deals over the line and they just did the work and it was a – we all just worked on commission and it was a really fun ride. Wow. Yeah, it was wow. good. And and so working under that sort of pressure, um, you know, the pressure of, of commission um, selling mm. – 
what were the things that you put in place in order to ensure that you were, you know, earning a, a an appropriate uh, commission in terms yeah. of, you know, what was the groundwork that you had to lay? Yeah. Because it's not actually just the the selling and convincing. There's there's a few other pieces to this puzzle, right? You're really right. Um, so what did that look like? The uh, I'll add that it wasn't just pressure for my own income. I felt a lot of responsibility to keep everybody else busy as well in that little team. So so that was a bit of pressure. Uh, but the buzz of success was just uh, a little bit addictive, and so that was that was very fun. And I had to be disciplined, had to set time aside, had to had to trust Toby, had to hold on and just do what he told me to do. Hours and hours of cold calling, and getting really clear about the message, and confident that I can deliver it. With all of with all of those those things repeated, muscle memory, making sure that I didn't waste a single opportunity. Um, yeah, we 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 really did pretty well for for a good couple of years. It was a really great yeah, yeah. great experience. So a lot of repetition in there. You had you contacted a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. But what, uh, the kicker was trying to source my own leads and it's something that I still do now and I try and keep that organic and interesting but it lost a, it lost an edge when I just had a spreadsheet Toby bought data got it sourced overseas and New Zealand data of course but it kind of cleaned and made useful but that was a season that things sort of died a little bit on the vine because it didn't have the the freshness of me hunting it down even though that's exhausting it it kept it fresh and authentic. I think authenticity is just a critical component of successful sales. So cold calling, discipline, doing that every day. Uh, Toby would be saying we needed to be doing 50 calls a day. I could never do more than about 12, but <laughs> I talk too much to everybody. But if if that turned into the results you needed, then that was enough. That was that was that was great. Now you said you said earlier you had to trust Toby. Yeah. What was it that you that that you particularly uh, maybe found it a challenge to trust trust him on, or that that was a a stretch for you? There, I was just aware that I was trusting him. I didn't find it difficult. Right. I found him a trustworthy person. Yeah. Yeah. He walked the talk. He'd done it for years. I was. I think I might have been his first and maybe even last salesperson. He he carried the sales uh, for Greek, Greek Free Web Design, but I was just aware that. I wasn't comfortable, for example, wasn't comfortable using a script. But Toby said, use a script. Um, so I wrote a script and I used a script. He would encourage me to push people a little bit hard. Go for the close. Don't leave that open if you don't get that deal that day. And I didn't love it, but I did it because Toby said to do it. And, you know, that led to runs on the board and success and experience that set me in really good stead, you know. So how does that play out for you now? You were, you know, you were pushed to do something you maybe weren't so comfortable with. Mm. So have you gone back to doing it a way you're more comfortable with or do you do you push yourself further than, uh, you know, than, than you would have for a close these days? What is, how does... Now I have my own business. Mm. So 
my situation is I, I'm not driving for closes like I used to because I was responsible for getting work for the others. Yeah. And in between time, I had I worked for an organisation that was just a very sales-driven organisation, very KPI-focused, and I have probably left things <laughs> on the table because I don't have to drive like that. I'm very aware of my own reputation. Now this is my business. Honestly, Paul, I probably am leaving deals on the table. I'm not driving as hard as I used to. I feel freedom in that. I think New Zealand business owners probably respect that more. Um, the other side of the coin, though, is that we have got a fantastic solution which people need, and I'm not shy about telling them that. <laughs> yep. so, so maybe there is a bit of push, but I'm not as worried about deals on the day, for example, mm, and numbers mm. of deals a week, numbers of deals a month. Nobody's chasing me for those things. So for better or for worse, I don't hold myself too accountable for those. Yeah, so, I mean, you've spent time overseas. You've, you know, solidly been back in New Zealand for a good chunk of years. Mm. You talked about, you know, I guess our our culture or, you know, what business owners are like in New Zealand. Mm. How does that affect how you, you know, how you push for a close, what you're comfortable doing and, and yeah, what have been your, your learnings on that front? Because mm. there, are, there are different ways of selling yeah. and um, some of those for us Kiwis can, uh, can be, you know, quite grating, but, you know, the sale gets done some yeah. of those times. So yes. what have you learned? What would what, what be your, your thoughts? I think I have a particular sensitivity to business owners who are from overseas because I set my first business up overseas. And so I absolutely understand the ongoing anxiety that, that comes with being an outsider. So you are constantly thinking there could be something here that I am missing. You know, I, I lived for 12 years in Spain and we lived in the Basque country. So there were a variety of languages there. I think if I'd been in maybe Australia or somewhere English speaking, it might have been uh, less uh, anxiety inducing. But constantly knowing I might not be knowing what I think I do uh, is very wearing. And so I have a sensitivity to people who are brave and set their businesses up in New Zealand and don't know what they don't know. And so I am, I don't know, uh, probably my sweetest at that point because I, I have a real sensitivity to that. Um, and, and also probably a little bit more authority there too because uh, I understand I do know what they don't know and it matters uh, we're in employment compliance, and so there's a piece of law out there that will bite them hard if if they don't get it right. And so that really matters. In terms, I think having lived overseas for, we were in Spain for 12 years, and I also lived in Australia for three years. So that's a chunky bit of time overseas. I think I am probably a little bit more aware of cultural differences than people who've never done that. One of the things I am really conscious of is that New Zealand is a small country. You know, we we are likely to bump into somebody at the supermarket. We're likely to be on the football field with them on a Saturday. And if you pitch to them on a Wednesday and you were 
you know, too direct or too pushy or they, you know, they felt uncomfortable, you know. Nobody likes to feel uncomfortable in New Zealand. New Zealand business owners like to be comfortable. They like to be liked, which in terms of their HR compliance can be pretty tricky. They like their staff to like them a lot, but there are things that sometimes have to be said (laughs) that are not very popular or easy to say. So I think I see that, uh, whereas maybe if you've never been out of the country, you might not make those kinds of observations anyway. Mm, mm. Now, this like-to-be-liked uh, aspect, yes. does, that, does that come into how you, how you sell? I think it does. I think there is an element of a personality thing too. Some people are very sensitive to that and others are less so. I think my son doesn't care what people think about him, but I really like people to go away having thought, wow, that was really a great experience having had that consult with Ainsley. So I think that does impact my sales. Now, having said that, my son doesn't like to talk to strangers. You know, if he doesn't know them, he is very uninterested and unlikely to talk to you. You know, so I think perhaps coming with a package that is a persuader, as I've already confessed to being, is a wee bit of a, a preference to be liked. <laughs> I think probably overall salespeople would, would share that characteristic. I've heard that the best salespeople are introverts, and I suspect they are less concerned with what people think of them as those of us who are extroverts and enjoy to be enjoyed. So... Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe the jury has to remain out. I haven't done any study on this. Fascinating. Yeah, look, I mean, I think there's, there's, yeah, there's all sorts of flavours, isn't there? And um, yeah, I think you know, there's there's a degree to which all of us can sell, right? Mm. And and I mean, you alluded to you know, as as youngsters, you know, what what do we do from you know from the moment of being a little baby? You know, there's that you know, crying out for food, for whatever. And, uh, you know, there the, are the, the techniques that all of us put in play in order to, to, to sell whatever it is we're, we're trying to sell. It might be our own want or need at that age, but yeah. uh, these, these things, uh, you know, are there, are there from the beginning. And, um, you know, I guess, you know, some folks have a, you know, a very natural ability from a selling perspective. But a lot of these things can be learned, right? And, and it, it sounds like you've learned, you've learned a, a fair bit along the way. I used to listen to Brian Tracy's CDs in the car because I thought, I need, to le- I need to learn this. I believe it can be learned. And, you know, Tony Robbins, all this type of thing. I have never gone to a formal kind of course. I've not done Dale Carnegie or anything like that. But I have intentionally hunted down what I hope is excellence in my space and, you know, it makes us a good living now, building a business. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, before setting up your current business, Fix HR, you worked for a company. and I've come across them online. I guess one of the things I noticed was uh, that they appear to sort of sell quite long-term contracts and and some of the, the commentary I've, you know, I'd seen in uh, some online business forums was around this, a little bit of a hard sell, and then at times folks may be regretting regretting their purchase. Now, I'm sure there's all sorts of lessons from you know from this time. 
Um, you know, what can what can you tell us about that uh, that period? Whether it's things that sort of worked well, or things when you, in the goodness of time, you've realised mm, that that probably doesn't fit with how how you like to operate. Yeah. So one of the things as the business grew, there it, they I don't know if it's necessary or they chose to kind of silo different functions in the business. And that was something that I felt was not helpful for our end users. So, for example, the people who were setting my um, appointments, they'd never been to the events that uh, we were running and they were setting appointments for. Right. Um, so they had to convince people to attend, attend an event something. without That's really right. understanding. That's right. And and we were dissuaded, not encouraged to talk to our clients. Once they became clients, our job was done. How great. Leave it to the rest of us to look after. And that was presented very positively. I enjoyed that because I'm a hunter. I prefer mm. that. Yeah, I, yeah. It really sat well with me. But I realised, oh, there's – a purpose behind that and uh, that distance there between the delivery and the sales. So after the, the first couple of years, I, I thought were just magic. They were wonderful and and I enjoyed it and uh, and, and we, were, we were very, very successful actually. Mm. We had a goal of 360 clients in our first year and we got over a thousand. <laughs> so that was really getting some serious runs on the board. Wow. Uh, for my and my my sales kind of career, and it was a lot of fun, and the and the support was all there. But, but did, did that create some challenges when you sell a lot more than what you're expecting to? There's a lot of scaling that needs to go on behind the scenes to deliver actually a you know quality service, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think in those earlier days, that really was that that challenge was met. And uh, for those first couple of years, it, honestly, I, I felt like it was a really wonderful service mm. and, uh, you know, very few missed expectations. But as as we got into the multiple thousands, 5,000 clients, um, I, th- I think those silos were not uh, – I didn't feel like they served our clients well and I didn't feel that they were uh, they were helpful. So one of the things I try and do with our business now is – is just to make sure that this lovely connection between what we're pitching and promising and, and laying down and the delivery. So I feel like I've I learned the importance of that. Of course, I do things really quite differently to what I what I did there. I had a fairly long restraint of trade that I waited out and did a lot of thinking and researching and looking around at what would suit a, a small-scale Kiwi business owner we at Fix HR, we focus on businesses from three to ten staff, and we try really hard to make it as if your business is viable, our service is affordable. So I learned a hang of a lot, uh, and that it was because of them that I got to spend so much time with Kiwi business owners. I would not be the person I am today without that sales experience, but also without the just that human interaction with all of those amazing business owners. Mm. Um, nearly four thousand in four and a half years. Wow! So that's a huge, a huge thing that is very formative and special. And so, yeah, that experience having you know the appointments being set for you, uh, not having any um, you know ongoing sort of connection with those you'd sold to. What were the biggest sort of learnings from from that period? 
So I think, I mean, it's a fairly obvious point, but if you're driving someone by numbers, you must make this many calls, you must make this many appointments, this many appointments must sit, you know, I felt for those in that role. And the quality of the result is obviously not where we would all want them want it to be, you know. It's a little bit like going back to my time with Toby, trying to do 55 calls a day instead of 12 or 15. You know, the, for me, I learned that real connection, that real opportunity comes with, um, I guess, authenticity and wanting to, wanting to be able to help, not being <laughs> having somebody walking around behind you listening to your calls, timing your calls, counting the number of times you use the certain phrases that you've been, you know, very, very contrived and very difficult to actually, you know, fly beautifully. It's uh, an important lesson, I think. Yeah, yeah. So how has that, you know, changed now that you're running your own business? You can basically do whatever you like right yeah. and and but you're you're understanding the entire the entire picture every every part of the sales process you know you're looking at it from a business owner perspective as well as a a salesperson perspective yes. as well as thinking about the delivery of the services yeah. as through to how how happy you know that person's going to be along the way how does that that um Play out. So that, of course, is huge now. I'm sure if I look back to the beginning of 2020 when I left my role and with the intention of setting up my own business, if I, <laughs> if I knew how tough it was all going to be, I think I probably wouldn't have done it. But how happy that I didn't know. I did do it. <laughs> I am here. And, you know. There's many things in life are a little bit like that. I'm, I'm thinking parenthood, for example, you know. <laughs> so I still cold call. I'm two years into my business. And if I didn't cold, if I don't cold call, because sometimes I do, I hang up the phone, you know, and I, or we get really busy with things that come in and, and, but the pipeline dries up. And so I have to, I'm not doing it every day now. I'm doing it three times a week and I give it, a good solid hour, and I'm accountable to myself for that. But uh, I, so I know what a good hour is and what's just an hour. I've I've, I've it's not about ticking a box. I have got my own systems in place now, my own CRM. I I try and keep my follow ups apart from generating new leads in my in my in that cold calling time. Yeah. I, I don't do 55 calls ever. You know, it's still myself. And, and I can bring my best self when I ring someone because I sat next to them in the lights and I, and I wrote down their business name and phone number. I love it when they put their phone number on their branding on their vehicle because I take it down. And my ideal week, I'm seeing two or even three people that I've not met before. And that might be on a Teams meeting or I, I love to go and meet people. And that's... That stops if I stop my cold calling. And, and so I do it for myself now. I used to have somebody else do it for me. But I think there is efficiency. And it's not somebody working full-time, being paid a full-time anything for, um, for what I do. And I think probably people appreciate being called by the person who owns the business rather than a caller. 
Having said that, if I, if I had a great caller, I'd probably <laughs> enjoy that. And just just being able to understand quickly the circumstance I've rung people in and you know, do they have staff? Do they have someone looking after this for them? Are they delighted with the people who are helping them with their HR? Um, what do they love about having staff and, and what's not so great? And how how can we help get from you know, the, the mire into some nice firm foundations. I, I really enjoy talking about that stuff with people, so. Yeah, well, that, that's got to make it uh, work all the better, right? I mean, you enjoy that, you enjoy helping them succeed. Absolutely. Um, by being able to solve those, those business problems for them. That's right. Yeah, it's a, it's a very real solution I'm offering, and it's not a, it's, my, my goal isn't an hour on the phone. My goal is to see who we can help who will be our next client. So the the heart of it is quite a different thing, which, you know, I I enjoy, I cold call, I enjoy it. I have to be honest, I don't enjoy it every day. Sometimes I do it just because it's a discipline and I, and I hate the pipeline drying up. But actually after the first call or two, I usually find myself, I like this. <laughs> this yeah. is quite fun. Yeah. So. Yeah, obviously having some great conversations. Yeah. And, yeah. and, they don't all, uh, in fact, many don't lead to an appointment, but I like the idea that I'm tending to my brand. Mm. I get that out there. Actually, <laughs> here's a thing. Fix HR doesn't transmit very nicely on a mobile phone. Just about everybody. Ah, I'm Ainsley from Fix HR. Six. No, the verb fix. To fix, not the number six. It's just tricky. Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> F-I-X. That's, that's it right yeah, there yeah. for anyone okay. who is in any doubt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Now walk us through what your typical call looks like, maybe a, a difficult one especially. Oh, a difficult one. Well, difficult is I've got no time to talk. I mean, I usually quite like gatekeepers because it's a bit of a game, you know. Mm -hmm. They can be a bit tricky and about the only, your best result is to be able to send somebody an email. I feel like saying, oh, there's no point me sending another email. Uh, I sort of psych myself into a call. I, if my last call's been bad, I'll get up, I'll walk around, I'll re-energise because it's obvious when you're just going through the motions, you know, but just start nice and clear. I, I usually do start with how I've got their phone number because people want to know. Yeah. I I always check the company's register before I make a call so I know who to ask for or I know a little bit about the business. It's fun to be able to say, hey, I noticed on the company's register you're four years old today or last week or next week or whatever. That's a fun old thing. So your cold call is set apart from the beginning rather than Hi, my name is Ainsley. I'm calling from Fix HR. I mean, like, I'm already yawning. Following a boring script. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. And I don't script. Every now and then I come back to some questions because I drift away and right. blah, blah, so blah, you blah, do, blah, blah. So you do have some reference points that you you come back to. I do, and my, when I'm my best self, I do. Otherwise, we're just chatting away. I need to get appointments. I need to make a difference in their business. So uh, a great question I love to ask, and this is a little bit audacious, but I don't think I've ever had anybody feel like it was too much, but I say, hey, if I could fix your worst HR problem this week, you know, what, what would you love me to fix? 
because I want them to be, rather than just entertaining somebody who's nice on the phone, I want them to be thinking about their own circumstances and, and, and what it is that we could be doing for them. So if I'm cruising along and we're just bubbling around on what might have happened in the weekend, um, I'll say, how many staff have you got? Uh, you know, quite often people will not even be able to answer that question, especially, well, might have some contractors that they know ought to be employees or, 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 or. anyway, or I get an answer. And, and so I say, so um, just talk to them about those. I, I want them to be chatting. How, you know, how, when was your most recent recruit? How long is the one who's been staying with you longest? Who prepared your employment agreements for you? Just get them chatting about their business. And right, yeah. They feel like, ah, oh, she's, I don't know, interested, trustworthy. I mean, this is what we need in order to be able to get an appointment, which is our next step in our process. Understand their business. Understand what's, what should be much better and whether or not we can help them. So you may not follow a script, but you're still process-driven. You still know what you've got to get out of that call. And the next step is an appointment. Correct. And that's where you, that's where you go and, yep. um, and sell. Do the magic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to say, though, I think I'm well – like my numbers around those appointments are pretty good because I've done that groundwork myself. Mm, um, mm. And so there's a high level of trust. People are usually looking forward to that call. I ask them to bring things along to it. I want as much buy-in as I can get. I want that solid – I'd rather two solid meetings a week than four that are, you know, just on the fly. So mm, I consolidate. Mm. I always confirm them. It's a personal text that I use to confirm them rather than a system-generated thing. Yeah, I like. Now I run my own business to use emojis. I don't know. People don't like those. But get some such bright, happy ones these days. I stick them in there. That's your personality coming through, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. I'm not trying to pretend to be something else. And, and how freeing and how good. I love it. I love it. So – if, whether it was your own business or circumstances changed, you were in the position of having to run a sales team, mm. how how would you do that? Would you go back to more sort of scripts and things that you know kind of work? Would you create an environment for your team that would give them the sort of freedom, knowing that you've got to get out and that that team is there just to sell and to you know, or primarily to sell and to, yeah. and to close business. Yeah. I think I would probably err on the side of being a little bit liberal around, around those controls. I mean, people have got to come up with the business. Clearly, the, the more you're paid, <laughs> the more the results have to be there. But in my experience, people are great. They don't really need all that heavy, heavy monitoring and tracking. If your tracking is rewarding to your great salespeople, then that's a good system. Mm. Um, I think a key is that your salespeople really believe in what they're moving. I think I'd spend a lot of time getting people familiar and comfortable and confident in what they're, what they're moving because that that's comes through, speaks out of any any script or non-scripted interaction when you really know uh, this is this is a solution here for you 
then then that's going to be transmitted. And I think that's the core and key. Now, having said that, I you know, there are different systems out there, and I'm sure they're fabulous for lots of people. But uh, I prefer to uh, fly along on my own without all of those constraints. <laughs> yeah, yep. And would you do would you do a lot of training? I think uh, that training and what it is that is getting delivered is golden. In my time with Toby, he taught me how to read the table, how to, just the very, very most basics of things, reflecting, mirroring, I'm forgetting all the different things that we went through, but, you know, it was groundwork stuff. And that needs to be taught uh, to kind of shape and get get useful. But beyond that, I think it's important to know how to, how to understand the person on the other side of the table. Does what I'm selling serve them? Do, they, do we understand what they need? Are we the solution? Let's make it happen rather than, I don't know, trickery and slick salespersonship. Mm. All right, now before we finish up, if you could give our audience one, one piece of advice that they could take away in action you know, tomorrow, what would that be? You warned me that you were going to come up with this question, so I did prepare something. I, I think it's for business owners who who need to sell something to grow their business. I think there's a temptation to spend a lot of time creating systems, and certainly there need to be a kind of a, a <laughs> there needs to be something to deliver. But I I see people around me who are sometimes caught up in the trap that their systems are, are are absorbing almost everything. I am a firm believer in systems having to chase sales. Get some runs on the board. Get your clients in, not before you come up with what you're delivering. We certainly didn't do it that way, but we have needed to plateau with our numbers to catch up with, for example, the delivery. Um, you know, I was... I have a, uh, my my staff member and colleague, she was just getting run ragged. We needed to come back, recruit, and get somebody alongside her. That meant that we needed to change some things up digitally and uh, phone-wise and things. You know, But that was, I think, the right way to go about doing it rather than spend all our time trying to get that in place for the growth that might one day come. It's a, it's a wee bit of a trap, I think. Sales chasing systems is a much better idea than setting up all these systems and then hoping the sales are going to come. Good advice. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you very much, Ainsley. Really fascinating. And um, where do people track you down online? What's the best way to, to find you if they are after some help? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Human resources, HR perspective, that's where exactly do they go? Right. So we get alongside business owners. There are advocates out there for employees and, in fact, many Many times they're free, no win, no fee lawyers, a proliferation of them. We want to get alongside business owners, particularly uh, those with businesses with three to ten staff, and they can find us online, www.fixhr.co.nz. Yeah, we'd love to see them there. Book an appointment with me. I love it when my phone rings. Our phone numbers are all there. So, yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear from, from those that we can help. That's good. Excellent, excellent. 
Well, thank you for joining me. All the best with Fix HR and you. and your growth going forward. And um, we'll, we'll look forward to, uh, you know, following uh, your progress. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Paul. Excellent. Thank you to our listeners for joining us uh, again. We'll be back in a fortnight's time with our next episode. And, of course, thank you to our show uh, partners, uh, 40 Thieves, Nut Butters, and Gorilla Technology. Uh, and for more great podcasts, head along to podcasts.nz. All right. Thank you. Thanks. See you. Thanks for listening in to this episode of the New Zealand Sales and Marketing Insider. If you enjoyed it, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, such as New Zealand Everyday Investor, NZ Business Podcast, This Climate Business, and more, head across to podcasts.nz. And if it's technology expertise you're after, for a small to medium organisation, then make your way to gorillatechnology.com. And special thanks to our friends at 40 Thieves Nut Butters. Listeners to the show can get a 20% discount when purchasing online. Just go to 40thieves.co.nz and use the promo code INSIDER20. See you next time.